Listeners, welcome back. You are now listening to Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries Unity in Christ program. For first-time listeners, my name is Christine Kim, and I am the host of this program. Do you believe that there is only one God, or do you believe that there are many gods out there, and God the Lord is just one of many? For example. There are many gods in the Greek mythology, or gods that appear in the Bible, such as Baal and Asherah. But do you believe God is just in addition to many other gods? If so, did you choose to believe in the Lord because perhaps you felt He was the most powerful one? If this was your reason for believing in God, then it is easy to assume that if a stronger God existed, you would believe in that God, right? Of course, I hope none of our listeners listening to this right now can relate to this. I came to find out that there were many Christians out there who held such beliefs. Some are even basing their beliefs based on scripture found in the Bible, based off of what scriptures you might ask. There are actually many passages in the Bible that people pull from to uphold their beliefs that there are many gods of which God is the mightiest. The verse from Exodus chapter twenty, verse three, is widely referenced when arguing this belief. It says, "You shall have no other gods before me." This is a very famous verse, and is also the very first commandment. At a first glance, it seems as if God is saying there are gods besides Himself, right? Because He is telling us that we shall have no other gods before Him. But if you read the Bible, you realize there are numerous passages in the Bible that lets us know that there are no other gods other than the one and only God. Deuteronomy chapter thirty-two, verse thirty-nine: "See now that I myself am He." There is no god besides me. I put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal, and no one can deliver out of my hand. Isaiah chapter forty-five, verse twenty-one. Declare what is to be. Present it. Let them take counsel together. Who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from the distance past? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other god apart from me, a righteous god and a savior. There is none. But me, Isaiah chapter forty-six, verse nine. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. In addition to these verses, there are many others, especially in the book of Isaiah, where he lets us know there is no other God other than Himself. If that is the case, do you think that there are other gods, or do you believe there is no other God other than the Lord? What do all of our listeners think? We'll come back to share more after our first song. You are not a god created by human hands. You are not a god dependent. Not a god in need of anything we can give by Your plan. Of 
that's just the way it is You are not a God created by human hands You are not a God dependent no other God besides God, or no, there are other gods, but God is the greatest and the strongest of them all. This type of dispute and controversy arises because there is confusion about the concept of a God. What is a God? The dictionary defines God as a superhuman being or spirit worshipped as having power over nature or human fortunes. It also is defined as spirit which the definition states is a non-physical part of a human that is the seat of emotions and character, the soul. 
people tend to think that there are other gods that exist, and or are spirits. But when God commands us, you shall have no other gods before me, the true meaning behind these words are, you shall not think there are other gods before me. This is not stating that he believes there are other gods, but is stating if you think there are other gods, then do not place them before him, the Almighty One. Let me read from Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 39 once more. And it says, See now that I myself am he. There is no God besides me. I put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal. And no one can deliver out of my hand. God specifically states that there is no other God besides him. And he continues to describe what a God is. What is God? God is someone who can put to death and bring to life, who can wound and also heal. But there is no other God besides the Lord who has the authority and power to do this. If you read this verse differently, it means that there is no other God who can do this. God tells us again in Isaiah 44 verse 6, This is what the Lord says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty, I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me there is no God. God is the first and the last. Other than the Creator, there is no other God. Here are the words of Isaiah chapter 45, verse 18. For this is what the Lord says, He who created the heavens, He is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, He founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord, and there is no other.
Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Francis Chan of Cornerstone Church. Today's topic is What to Do When Christianity Becomes More Unpopular, Part 2, based on Revelation chapter 17, verse 1 through 18. I hope you have a blessed time as you join Pastor Francis. And then in verse 18, here's a clue that uh, it's a little tricky. It says that the woman is the great city that rules over kings. Now, I believe what this means is at the end times, there is going to be a city where this false religion is kind of centered. And this false religion, you know, that the whole world is following after and persecuting the Christians for, I believe it's going to be centered in a city. And it could be Babylon itself. It could be right there in Saddam's backyard. Others say that maybe this great city refers to Rome. Because at the time that John wrote this, the great city that rules over kings at that time was Rome. And so some say, well, maybe the great city is Rome, and the center of that false religion is going to be Rome itself. There's a lot of different questions as to where this takes place or who this actually represents. Again, you know, this is my guess, as I really believe it's referring to false religion. But this is just based upon my limited knowledge, and I'm pretty sure of it. I'm probably... 30%, sure, you know. And that's why I say, you know, say for yourself, because other people have come up with other conclusions. Some say the great prostitute is the U.S. And they can look at these clues and say, I think it fits the United States. Others have said, well, I think it fits better Hollywood. A lot of people say, well, I think it's this, I think it's that. And that's why I'm saying, you know, here's my conclusion, is I really believe that uh, it has to be something a little more timeless than what we see here, because it seems like it deals with throughout the ages. But you guys, now let's go to the beast, okay? The beast is easier, okay? The beast is a lot easier, I think. And, uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you out and give you some visuals here. Um, but when I look at what uh, the Bible says about the beast, and this is also why I end up with, uh, you know, where I did with the prostitute, is because of what the Bible says about the beast. Now, the first thing it says about the scarlet beast is that it is covered with blasphemous names. Okay, now I say that uh, the Scarlet Beast represents this political power, political or military power that is given by Satan. And throughout time, you know, the kings of those kingdoms would call themselves Lord. That's blasphemy. Who's the Lord? There's one Lord. Who's king? There's only one king, one true king. And, and even when Israel said, hey, we want a king for ourselves, God was pretty disturbed by that. He says, but I'm your king. You know, you want a human king, you don't recognize that I'm the true king of kings. You know, I want Israel to be different, not like every other, you know, land that has a human and sets him up as king. I want to be Israel's king. And yet Israel rejected God as their king, and they wanted a human king, and that's when they pick Saul and go on, and, and the whole mess starts. But uh, so when it says that she's covered with blasphemous names, I believe that that can refer to political uh, entities because the names that they take upon themselves of Lord and King, and that's blasphemy because... There's only one true king. But the, the next phrase that we see is it says that this beast has seven heads and ten horns. Now, now this is important. And then uh, the next clue, it says that he once was, now is not, and will come out of the abyss. He once was, now is not, will come out of the abyss. What I believe this is referring to, remember um, when we studied Revelation chapter 13, I talked about the Antichrist. And we talked about how there was going to be a world ruler who had a wound to his head and yet somehow is healed from that and the whole world is astonished. 
and talks about this one who was and then he wasn't and then he is again. Um, and, and we were talking about how that's kind of like a, how Satan is trying to imitate what Jesus did. How he, he lived, he died, and he rose again. And how there's going to be this world ruler who somehow took such a fatal wound and the whole world was astonished and they followed him. And so we said it had to be something totally, totally huge. I mean, because a lot of people get wounded and then we say, oh, it's miraculous. They were healed, but we don't follow them with our lives. Okay, this one, it says that the whole world is astonished. So when here, when it says that something about this beast that he once was, now is not, and will come out of the abyss, I believe it's referring to an actual ruler, the seventh ruler here, we'll talk about that in a second, who actually dies, or has that picture of dying, but then he comes back out of the abyss. He comes back to life in a different form. And verse 8 talks about how He's going to go to his destruction, which I believe is talking about Revelation 20, when it talks about, in Revelation 20, 10, it talks about how the, the Antichrist, or this beast, is going to uh, be tormented day and night forever and ever in burning sulfur, um, basically be cast into hell. Now, here's where this will help you. In verses 9 and 10, it talks about the seven kings, or the seven heads. In verse 9, it says, This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Then it says, five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, but when he does come, he must remain for a little while. Okay, so he says that these seven heads are seven hills first. Now some say that those seven hills, again, could be an allusion to Rome. The seven hills of Rome. I'm not sure. Not, not sure what that means. But then it says that seven heads are also seven kings. Now in the Bible, when you talk about a king, oftentimes a king and a kingdom were interchangeable. And the interesting thing that it gives us some clues. It talks about how these seven kings, five have fallen. Now at that time, there were actually five kingdoms, five world kingdoms or empires that had fallen. You have Egypt. Okay, so this guy will be Egypt. And then you have Assyria, and then you have uh, Babylon, then you have Persia, and you may have studied some of this stuff at school, and you have Greece. And he says these five had fallen, and at that time that John wrote, those five kingdoms had already fallen. They had risen and they had fallen. And then it says that one is. Okay, at the time of John's writing, there was Rome, the Roman Empire. That was in existence at the time. And so when it says that one is, I believe he's talking about Rome right then, the Roman Empire. Then it says the other is not yet. So this guy right here, he's still coming. Okay. So this is the one we are not sure. We don't know a whole lot about. You know, who is this last kingdom? Because Rome has come and gone now. Well, then it says that the seventh remains a little while. So when he comes, he's only going to come for a little while. Okay, you got to, but then here's another clue. Okay, verse 11, verse 11 says this. The beast who once was, now is not, okay, which I think is this guy. The beast who once was, now is not, is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. What are you talking about? How can this guy be an eighth king and yet he belongs to the seventh? Well, that's what I was talking about. Remember, this is the guy, I believe, he takes a wound to the head. But then he comes back. And that's why I believe that uh, 
he's the eighth king that belongs to the seventh. Because the whole idea is this seventh king somehow takes a wound to the head, he comes back, and so in a sense he's an eighth king. Now he's more powerful. He came out, uh, I believe when he comes back, it's, it's in the middle of the seven years, right? In the three and a half year period, after the three and a half years, that he comes back as a more powerful ruler. And then it says that, uh, then it goes on and talks about the ten horns. And it says that the ten horns, um, these ten horns are ten kings without a kingdom, but they'll receive authority as kings with the beast, and they'll make war against the lamb and lose. Remember when we were studying about, in, in chapter 16, how there's going to be that, that war, the Armageddon, when all the kings of the earth are going to gather together and ultimately fight God? That's what I believe takes place here under the headship of this. See, this is all one system. All this throughout time, I believe, all of it represents this beast throughout time. It's Satan's influence throughout history. But in the end times, it's going to be this, this eighth king or a beast that represents... You know, that, that is attached to all of this, and he's going to take these ten nations, some sort of ten nation confederacy, and they're all going to make war against the Lamb and lose. And that's when God, you know, fights that final war and destroys all the kings of the earth and this whole system. And then the last thing, when it says that they will bring the woman to ruin. Okay, before, remember, there was a woman. She was riding the beast. Remember we said, okay, that, that great prostitute is false religion. And we talked about the relationship that uh, these kings will have had with these, this uh, false religion. Which, by the way, let me say this. All of these kingdoms persecuted the true believers. Okay, You read about all of these kingdoms in the Bible. I mean, if you have your pen, you want to write down. It, the Bible talks about Egypt in Ezekiel chapter 29 and 30. It talks about Assyria... In Nahum chapter 3, it talks about Babylon in Isaiah 21 and Jeremiah 50 and 51. It talks about Persia in Daniel 10. And it talks about Greece in Daniel 11. And Rome, we just know from the Roman Empire and their destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. And, and so, so all of these have been against the true believers and they've kind of partnered up with these false religions. But it says in the end, though, that the beast itself is actually going to bring the woman to ruin. So this beast is going to attack her and destroy her. Now, what's that all about? Why would they destroy her? I think the reason why they destroy her is before they used to need this false religion in order to get the people to follow them. But when this eighth beast comes, or this last ruler comes and kind of resurrects from the dead, everyone's going to rely on his power. He doesn't need anything else. And so there's this following of this seventh beast. That's what I think it represents. If I were you, I would just, I'd study it. I'd look at it. I wouldn't spend my whole life, you know, devoted to it. Because there's so many passages of scripture that are black and white, so clear. But again, my conclusion is uh, the great prostitute represents some sort of religious system that is created by Satan that enables us to throw off God and his beliefs. And the Scarlet Beast uh, represents a, a world political system or military system that represents a power that thinks that they can throw off God. Um, and, uh, you know, it's hard to take a passage like this and say, well, what, what are you supposed to do with it? You know, it's like, so what? Okay, now I kind of have an idea of who the, the beast and the great prostitute are. He has a point is this. God hates the Scarlet Beast. He hates this great prostitute. He hates everything that they stand for. And what you and I need to be faithful to do at this point in our lives is to make sure that we're not giving in, that we're not compromising in our lives, 
that we're not being swayed by those things that are so popular on the earth. Because like I've said many times, it's going to get more and more difficult to really live by this book. Um, there's going to be other religions that will come alongside and say, come on, they're saying they're the only way. It's going to be hard for you to stand up and say, well, yeah, that's what Christ said. It's going to be hard for us to take a stand for the things that we call morality, that we say, you know, our God's law, the world is laughing at. It's going to be hard for us to believe in the power of God when we see world powers rising. But it's important for us to stand our ground. You know, close our time, I've asked a friend of mine, Johnny, he's going to come up and just share uh, some of the things that... uh, He was sharing with me a a few months ago, just some of the changes that were taking place in his life. And I thought, you know what, that'd be great for the congregation to hear because there's some things that have taken place in his life that I think... uh, should impact us. So, uh, Johnny, why don't you just... Uh-oh. My summary of that sermon is Jesus wins in the end. And that's really it. But are we ready? And that's the question that I was convicted of a couple of years ago. Just a little history about me real quick. Three minutes. I'm from Montana. I moved down here uh, to work in the film business about uh, 15 years ago with a film degree and and uh, have worked my way up through the ranks as a Hollywood cameraman I have become worldly successful. I've accomplished all the things that I always wanted to accomplish, which was make lots of money and uh, and work with famous people and work in the whole Hollywood scene and travel the world and all that jazz. And I and I've done that. I don't say that boastfully. I say it only to support my story. Basically, a couple of years ago, the Lord convicted me that there's more to life than all of this, and I felt that 100 percent. But what is it? I've been a believer for about uh, 12 years, and and so I was trying to figure out what's the next step. And I was justifying my existence in the film business because I was being a light. I love sharing the gospel. I love uh, sitting down for lunch with somebody and revealing to them what Jesus did for me. But on the other hand, I was doing things that I didn't feel like I should be doing. You know, I... I think the easiest way to illustrate it is a couple of years ago, I was, well, about a year and a half ago, I was doing a movie and, and the director and I were, were uh, collaborating on this shot and, and he wanted the, uh, the girl to come running down the hallway and all these bad guys are chasing her and she's going to run down the stairs and I'm going to be with the camera in front of her and, and it's going to be a great shot. And then she says, and then I see the girl and she's topless. And so I'm, I'm saying to myself, this just doesn't make sense. You know, I'm sharing the gospel with people. But then they're seeing me do this stuff that is completely contrary to what I believe. And so really feeling convicted, but yet justifying it. You guys ever done that test where you think about if you die, what would be on your tombstone? What would they write? And I was kind of doing that that test for myself. What would be on my tombstone? What would I want on my tombstone? If I died today, it would be he, he worked on a bunch of big movies. And that didn't seem right. There was things that were way more important to me than that. And so the Lord basically convicted me that I need to be ready for his return. And when I think about that, I think of if he gives us 40 or 50 or 80 years of life or or if he takes us tomorrow, would I be ready to face him and say, Lord, I've done 100% of what you called me to do. Of course, we'll never be there, but was I was I found faithful and, and obedient? I didn't feel like I was, so I had to make a change. And so what I decided to do was, my wife and family and I, we've decided to 
change careers, and basically I, I wanted to go and get myself prepared for ministry of some sort, uh, not necessarily full-time ministry, because I love being out there in the trenches and sharing the gospel, but yet I don't find myself really that prepared. And Anyway, what we did was we decided to sell our house and go to seminary. And um, so we talked around and we applied to different seminaries across the country, and I was accepted, and we were leaving. We were going to sell our house and or move out of the state, probably to Chicago and go to Moody. And, um, and Francis cut me off and said, hey, would you like to come and play with us and go to seminary locally? And uh, because it was co- the reason I was leaving the, the, the state was it's cost effective to move out and and uh, because I'd be living on, you know, basically no income. So Francis, I guess, will tell you what I'm doing now. But I guess my my summary is, are you ready? Are you ready for the the God of eternity, not just the, the God of 10 or 20 or 50 or 80 or 100 years, if we're really fortunate, but the God of eternity? Are, are we ready? Are we having an impact on those people around us? I want to have an impact on people, even if it's one person for eternity. We're going to have eternity to celebrate together versus just a little bit of time here on earth. And that's my conviction, and that's the area that I didn't want to compromise on anymore. You know, when uh, Johnny was telling me about his life, and, you know, when I first met him, he was like, ooh, cameraman. You know, and then, uh, you know, as I got to know him, and then when he says, you know what, I'm giving it all up, I'm selling everything, basically making no income whatsoever because he just felt like, you know, this is what God wanted me to do. I thought, man, that shows some serious integrity, a, a true belief in eternity. And, uh, and so what Johnny's going to be doing now is and basically using his gifts to help us impact this city and this community. And I'm real excited about that. All right, again, as we leave this week, you know, take what we learn in Revelation. I know it's not real practical stuff, you know, today's. But at the same time, the point of Revelation is this stuff's happening. This stuff's coming together. So let me get my life together and get things in place before Christ returns. We'll see you next week.
Now you can find all the programs of Heart and Soul on podcast. You can easily play this week's or past week's programs, or you can even download them to your device just in a few minutes. Try to search for Heart and Soul at your iTunes store now. Please stay tuned as we are following a program that guides us to know what ethics Christians should hold, titled Christian Ethics. Hello listeners, this is Brian Winston with Christian Ethics. Keeping oneself pure is not only talking about being pure from sexual acts, it's also about keeping oneself away from certain things. Today's mass media, such as movies, music, and TV shows, is full of imagery related to sex. And most of the knowledge introduced by the media is typically vulgar, perverted, or abnormal. Today's young adults grow up in an environment that depicts many wrong views of sex before the right concept is ever introduced. And when these young adults become old enough to marry, they often get married with a distorted sense of morality and unreasonable expectations. Most of these situations result in a marriage that brings about misfortunes before they even actually get married. The material that gives us these wrong ideas about sex is pornography. Now, when people hear this word, they usually think of perverted videos, but the word pornography comes from the Greek word porneia, and the New Testament expresses porneia as adultery. The word porneia in New Testament, or adultery's definition, does not just mean having sexual relations with someone other than your spouse. Adultery is a broad term which includes both actual and imaginary kinds of sexual acts that God did not designate as homosexuality, premarital sex, prostitution, and others. Indeed, pornography is nothing new. Records related to pornography go back to ancient times, and the ancient city of Pompeii that fell in 79 AD had lewd drawings on their walls. Hindu temples in India, as well as Korea, Japan, China, and many other countries in Asia, had records of lascivious drawings. With the arrival of the modern era, Advancement in printing greatly influenced the world. In good ways, the Bible was published and printed for many people to read. However, in bad ways, pornographic magazines were distributed. Now, such magazines are restricted for adults, but today, underage teens can easily get their hands on this material. Some children start accessing porn by going through their parents' hidden stuff. Ted Bundy, a famous serial killer, raped and killed dozens of women, and confessed that he developed sexual desires by getting involved in pornographic magazine in his teenage years. Of course, most of us are not going to end up like Ted Bundy, but it illustrates the power pornography has and the danger for anyone who gets involved with it. First, it is addicting. It makes people want to watch it more than just once. The addiction is so lethal that even religious leaders and counselors who spend time healing others with this addiction end up becoming addicted as well. Second, it depicts abnormal and unreal sex. Most porn does not show sexual intercourse between normally married couples and the act is not based on love. It is made to fulfill sexual desires. 
And third, pornography plants a seed of destruction in one's mind that may initially seem harmless, but can later show up to ruin a happily married life. Today, it is easy to access pornography through the internet and even smartphones. Therefore, we are exposed to the temptation of porn way more than we have in the past. There is one thing we need to be mindful of. That is, a doorway that leads to sin does not seem all that bad. The door entrance does not show what is waiting behind the door. If it did, nobody would want to enter through it. Usually people do not look for pornography at first. Most people enter the world of pornography by first listening to pop songs or watching dramas and movies that show immoral acts. People do not think those things are bad because they're shown in pop culture. Now, since pop culture is universal in general, many people enjoy it together without feeling any guilt or realizing that it's wrong. However, pop culture is like a mine buried in our soul. In our daily lives, it does not seem to be that big of a deal, but when you strike a mine at some point, it explodes in our soul, and this explosion is strong enough to break our soul. It is sad to know that many Christians today suffer from the addiction of pornography. Moreover, statistics and reports on the number of pastors addicted to pornography reveal how scary pornography really is. There are numerous opportunities to get trapped in an immoral habit. Pornography is one of the most common and dangerous sexual sins. In addition, since it is easily accessible, it is necessary to develop guidelines for our lives to prepare against this temptation. You must not fall into this moral danger for the sake of your mind, soul, body, spouse, and family. This concludes this week's episode of Christian Ethics. Thank you for listening, and God bless.
A God has to be the first and the last and has to be the creator of all. He is the ultimate controller of everything living and breathing. Who else other than God, the Lord Almighty, has the authority to be called a God? Besides God, who else created the universe? Was there anyone out there who helped God create it? No. Besides the Lord Almighty, is there any other God who can be the first and the last? There is not. Other than God, who can command life and death? And besides God, who can bless us? Is there any other God who can take away our life or give it to us? No, there is not a single God out there that can. As we can see from the book of Job, without the permission of God, not even Satan was able to take away the life of Job. He can only do what God allows. But there is one thing we must be certain about. There are other spiritual existences other than God. There are angels and devils. Although we cannot see them with our eyes, they do exist. However, we need to know that they are not gods. They were once created by the Almighty Creator. People that do not know God mistake spiritual beings for God and sometimes refer to them as ghosts. It tells us in Exodus chapter 20 verses 3 through 5, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth, beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. He tells us this because there is no other God than the Almighty One. It may not seem too important that we know that there is no other God. Some may believe in God for this reason, because they believe there is no other God. Or some may say, isn't it good enough that I believe in God above all others? However, it isn't like that. As I said in the beginning, if God is only one of the many gods out there, or if we believe in God because He is the strongest and the greatest of them all, our motive in believing Him is wrong. This can also be understood as, if there is another God that exists who is stronger and more powerful, then perhaps people will believe in that God instead. The most basic reason we believe in God is not because He is the most strongest and powerful among all other gods, but because He is the only God. He is the first and the last and the creator of all. He is our owner and controls every aspect of our lives who died on the cross for us that our sins may be forgiven. And through His sacrifice, He saved us to be free, which is why we believe in Him. Do you believe there are other gods among our God? There may be other spiritual existences, but there is no other God. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the eternal King. When He is angry, the earth trembles. The nations cannot endure His wrath. Tell them this, These gods who did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens. But God made the earth by His power. He founded the world by His wisdom and stretched out the heavens by His understanding. When He thunders, the waters in the heavens roar. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from His storehouses. Everyone is senseless and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is shamed by his idols. The image he makes are a fraud. They have no breath in them. This passage is from Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 10 through 14. There is no other God other than the Lord our God. I hope that we may build our faith upon this truth. We will now wrap up Unity in Christ. Thank you for listening as it has been my pleasure. I hope to see you this time next week and God bless. 
Trembles at his voice. How crazy. 